Last Sunday after the service, Jen let me know she had some unresolved feelings about the sermon. The text and the things I'd said about it made her rather frustrated for Sarah. A little frustrated with God. And those frustrations weren't resolved by the end of the sermon. And they aren't going to be resolved at the end of this one either. And Sarai has every right to be frustrated. Her husband tells her he's heard from God and they've got to move to some foreign country. Why? Babies, Sarai. We're going to have babies. That's what God said. So she packs up everything and goes. Problem is, no babies. Not one. Our passage last week is evidence of the toll this must have taken on her. She is just sick of the disappointment. You know, in the movie uh, Shawshank Redemption, the inmate Andy Dufresne describes how music reminds him that there is life beyond prison. In a word, it gives him hope. Hope, says Red, his buddy. Let me tell you about hope, my friend. Hope is a dangerous word. Hope will drive a man insane. Hope's got no place in Shawshank. Better get used to that idea. Sarah is not an inmate at Shawshank, but this hope, this hope for a child, risks making her a prisoner in her own body. It's going to drive a woman insane. A body grows and develops and strengthens until one is ready to reproduce. After that window closes, the body begins its inevitable decline. For Sarai, that window has long since closed. It is barred. It's like a, it's a prison window. An old woman tr- talking about giving birth is like an inmate talking about hope in Shawshank. There's just no place for it. If Abram was going to insist on following this God and trusting in this God's promises, well, then she needed to step away. She refused to hold things up for the sake of her own sanity. So Abram sleeps with Hagar and she gives birth to Ishmael. That was last week's reading. We flash forward this week, a little over 13 years. This is the third time that God pipes up and talks about this covenant the two are in. However, God does not merely repeat or give some variation on his previous messages. Uh, God starts getting into some fine print, hashing out some details. If it were a PowerPoint presentation, it'd have three big points. Third point would be about Sarah. There's some other business to take care of first. Um, And to understand some of this, it's helpful to keep in mind, uh, as I've tried to emphasize throughout this series on Genesis, is that we are not the first to read Genesis. It was written for readers long ago. Um, And it's important to keep that audience in mind. Um, The first bullet point is this name change. Abram becomes Abraham. And it's a name change that feels a bit ironic. The father of exactly one kid has his name changed to father of multitudes. It almost sounds like a joke, unless you're one of those original readers. Unless you, your relatives, your neighbors, practically everybody you know is evidence of the fact that Abraham or Abram is Abraham. The second bullet point underscores that the link between you and Abraham is not merely genetic. What links you is the covenant. And this bullet point is about 
the sign of the covenant, circumcision. And the way this portion reads is different from other passages. It reads less like a story and more like an instruction manual. As much as God is speaking to Abraham, telling him what to do, God is also addressing readers, telling them what to do, who to circumcise, and when. That brings us to the third bullet point, and that brings us back to Sarah, who is also renamed uh, from Sarai to Sarah. It's here where we were taken back into the tension of that story. She, uh, she's not there, but uh, it's again, it's been 13 years since the events of the previous chapter. For 13 years, Sarah has been able to take that dangerous word and put it up on a high shelf. For 13 years, she's learned to age gracefully, to accept reality. She's gotten used to the idea that the child promised to her is not going to be hers. It's just her husband's. I mean, it made sense. After all, when Abraham had wondered how he was supposed to father a nation, God had specified that he'd have a son from his own body. Well, Ishmael was that, a son from his body. But after 13 years, God intrudes and says, I meant that it'd be a son from Sarah's body too. Uh, you know, and now let's, to be fair, what God says to Sarah, does, it's, it's a wonderful thing. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. On the other hand, you want God to just cut it out. Give the woman a break. Enough with the dangerous words. You're going to drive her insane. This tension is not going to be resolved by the end of this chapter. And it's safe to assume that what God wants Abraham to do is to pass this information along to Sarah. And as we'll see, you know, in the, in the next chapter, uh, he won't. And who can blame him? Who wants to poke that hornet's nest? So what is God up to? I mean, let's assume God is all-knowing. That's sort of a standard divine attribute. Why then didn't God make this clear from the get-go? It's been a little, it'll be uh, a little, it'll be close to 25 years since uh, God had his first word with Abraham. Why didn't God simply clarify things then? Why didn't he just say, okay, I'm going to bless you, land, descendants. And to be clear, uh, you're going to have a when I talk about descendants, I'm talking about a baby fathered by you, born to you and your wife, your current wife, Sarai. I know, it's exciting, right? Wait, 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 wait. don't go planning a shower yet. I, yes, you're going to have to wait like a quarter of a century. Yeah, I know, it's going to be a while, but hold your horses, it's going to be fine. Wouldn't that have made things easier? Wouldn't that have helped everyone to manage their expectations, saved everyone a lot of hand-wringing? I certainly can see the appeal of a God who operated like that, who laid it all out, who enabled us all to have hopes that didn't feel so dangerous. But that brings me back to that second bullet point, this business around circumcision. There are lots that can 
lots of things that we can say about this sign of the covenant. What it is that God is saying about the nature of this covenant by means of this symbol. But today, maybe what we could just say is this. Making this your sign underscores the fact that there's something dangerous about being a part of this covenant. A willingness to trust in this God and this God's promises is a little risky. It's going to leave you feeling a little vulnerable. It's not offering some superficial thing. It's offering something, a big hope. And that's a little scary. That's dangerous. I think it's fair when people talk about the gospel as a means of finding peace and happiness. Great. It does that, sure. But it can also make things much more difficult. To take the promises of God seriously, to trust that God can deliver, you know, it, it requires you to not settle for forms of peace and happiness that are superficial. It, 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 you have to go beyond a sort of shallow meaninglessness. Uh, for Abraham and Sarah, it is hard to see God's promises as being about anything other than having a baby. But ultimately, what God is promising is something much bigger, much bigger, a nation through whom all nations will be blessed. God is promising here to make the whole world right. Well, I mentioned last week this podcast I'm listening to about crimes surrounding Alec Murdoch a lawyer in the low country of South Carolina. In February of 2019, Alex's son, Paul, crashed their boat into a bridge piling and it killed one of the passengers. There was a civil lawsuit, uh, and which involved looking into the Murdoch's uh, finances. Well, the Murdoch's have been sort of uh, a dynasty in, that, in Hampton County. And when they started poking around, in those finances, they realized there was a lot of corruption there. And this corruption involved not only Alex's law firm, but it involved banks, involved insurance companies, involved the police, involved judges. And what's interesting is that the post of, or the, the host of this podcast is this young reporter named Mandy. She has this earnest commitment to journalism, to the standards of her profession, and it is so admirable. It's so admirable as to be almost heartwarming. She is determined to not only see justice done in this case, but to see the good old boy system that was running Hampton County, uh, to be to see that brought down. So earnest. In fact, frankly, I, I kind of worry about her. Uh, all that hope. I say, let me tell you something about hope, my friend. It's a dangerous word. You know, with the coming of Christ, the PowerPoint was revised, specifically that second bullet point. For us, the sign of the new covenant, of course, is not circumcision, but baptism. And it, too, has an element of danger. It symbolizes a dying, drowning, a burial. It's a sign that says we will not be content with cheap peace and shallow contentment. We're dying to that. We will not wink and backslap our way into some good old boy system. We remember that it was a good old boy system that conducted a crucifixion in the name of keeping peace. Now we die to that too. That gets buried. The surrender of our lives to God and God's promises is not easy. Every time, or almost every time, feels a bit like a small death. 
I mean, if you don't feel that, then maybe you've never really had to apologize before. Or maybe you've never tried forgiving someone before. But I'm, I'm assuming you have. And you know it's not easy. But that is a way of dying to ourselves and living into our baptism. It is an act of hope. Hope that this death will open us to something else. Because after all, baptism is not merely a symbol of dying, of drowning, of burial. We die with Christ so that we might be raised with Christ. It is a sign of resurrection. And that is the bold hope we cling to. Sometimes when we forgive, when we ask for forgiveness, we experience that side of it too. It, it, it does. It feels like a resurrection. Sometimes. You know, and it's not clear how it's going to work out. As with Abraham and Sarah, God does not lay out the plan in all its details. God does not appear particularly interested in having us have it all figured out. What God is interested in is having us learn how to trust. God does not give us a neat success formula. What God gives us is God's own self. That's the promise. Promises that in our dying and rising, we do not go alone. God is with us. You know, after Red explains that uh, to Andy that hope has no place in Shawshank and that he better get used to that idea, Andy responds by saying, like Brooks did? Well, Brooks was an inmate who, after years and years of serving time, was finally released. And he lives in constant fear. He's totally incapable of being free. And he just wants to return back to the prison. Hope is a dangerous word. It can, it can break your heart. And break your heart now and again, but hopelessness. Hopelessness, well, that is worse. That is misery guaranteed. So in our baptisms, we are invited to live dangerously. Live with hope. Deep and profound hope. Live with the kind of hope that inspired someone like the Apostle Paul to write this. I pray that according to the riches of God's glory, God may grant that you be strengthened in your inner being with power through the Spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him, by the power at work within us, is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. 